Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows that we do in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you would like to join a growing community of really awesome people and help Major Spoilers out in the process and get a bunch of extra stuff in the process, you can find out more by pointing your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, it's Jingle Bells at Arkham Asylum, on Dini, on Paul Tim, on Harley, on Ivy, on Resident Evil, and whatever Mank is. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all, but make sure to take your earphones, because the Major Spoilers Podcast is all the way. Oh, what fun it is to be on the air with us today. Hi! Issue 904 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Oh, we are getting into the Christmas spirit. We got a little bit of that uh, coming up uh, uh, later in the show. But first, let us do some news. Most of the comic book conventions in the United States have been canceled, but that's not the case for the CCXP that was uh, take place this past weekend in Brazil. And of course, if you're going to have a comic book convention, people are going to show up. DC Comics was there to announce a new books coming out in March 2021. Of note is Detective Comics 1034, which will feature the creative team of Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora. Now, these two have teamed previously for a future state story that we'll be reading next month and will continue on Detective Comics for at least the next six issues as we see Bruce Wayne on the run from the magistrate. Dun, dun, dun. You guys have any Most, thoughts? Not really. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that... Tamaki. I'm surprised that DC sent someone from their offices to a convention in Brazil. Yeah, no, they apparently that a lot of people will. We'll, we've got some more uh, news coming out of uh, CCXP here in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, most states in the United States are continuing to struggle with the pandemic and even more seem to be going on lockdown. But somehow Seth MacFarlane is resuming production on the Orville series, which I believe is going to be on Hulu now. Uh, Seth made the announcement on his Twitter. And for fans of Seth and the Orville, it looks like he's going to be directing a few episodes of what I like to call Star Trek The Next Generation Volume 2. Frankly, I love the Orville. I really want more Orville. I really enjoy what they do with the show. So as long as everyone is safe, I'm kind of happy to hear that they're, you know, back in production. But I also want to know where they're doing this. Are they I don't like- know. I don't know if they're doing stuff in uh, Toronto or not. I know Ashley is working on some stuff that we can't talk about, but she's doing acting stuff. And they take their they take their um, quarantine and uh, covid uh, precautions very, very seriously. Like you'll see her tweet out that she has to go get a covid test. That usually means she's going to be on set within a, a day or two. Uh, she right. will be wearing the uh, the face masks and the uh, PPE shields, and yeah. uh, they you know they keep everything you know very. I think they're very strict. It's almost it feels like uh, when the porn or what the porn industry does for uh, STDs and uh, HIV is where you have to go get tested a day or two before you you film, and you have to be cleared for that. And it right. has really taken the instances of um, SS uh, uh, venereal diseases. Uh, and HIV and has really dropped them to almost nothing. And so if they're doing those kind of precautions in the regular film and, and, and uh, television industry, uh, I think they're, uh, I think everyone on the Orville will be okay, Matthew. I hope so. I do. I mean, you know, if Batman who was, you know, on the film set 
managed to somehow get COVID-19. I feel like it still can happen. I just want to make sure that everybody's as safe as possible. All right. Uh, so uh, during the Amazon Prime panel at CCXP, uh, Robert Kirkman announced a new batch of voice actors joining the Invincible animated series cast. Uh, Mahershala Ali will play Titan, Clancy Brown as Damien Darkblood, uh, Nicole Byer as Vanessa and Fiona, Jeffrey Donovan as Machine Head, Jonathan Groff as Rick Sheridan, John Hamm as Steve, Jimon Hansu as Martian Emperor, and Ezra Miller as D.A. Sinclair. Uh, <laughs> this is in addition to Stephen Yoon, who's playing Mark Grayson, J.K. Simmons as Omni-Man, Sandra Oh, Seth Rogen, Jillian Jacobs, Andrew Reynolds, Sassy Beats, Mark Hamill, Walton Goggins, Jason Matsukas, Mae Whitman, Chris Diamantopoulos, um, Elise, Kevin Michael Richardson, Gray Griffin, and Mark Spurkholder. So uh, I will accept my award yes. for getting the majority of those names you right. You did. Congratulations. You, you are welcome. Uh, impressive. Impressive. Invincible is scheduled to launch sometime in 2021. Yeah, I am and, very excited about this. I mean, these names already just the names that they had, you know, Sandra O oh as Mark's mom yeah. and J.K. Simmons as Omni Man, and then the little bit of trailer that we've seen with a little bit of blood and violence. Uh, the cast was already really good. Now they've added all these others, and it's just like, holy crap. Yeah, you know, if they're getting down to Titan and Damien Darkblood, first of all, it makes me think that they're doing you know, a very faithful reproduction. But it also makes me wonder how much of this they're planning to do. Because, I mean, when you get down to the point where, hey, Machine Head is in this. Yeah. You know, well, I know who Machine Head is. Does anybody else know who Machine sure. Head is? If you know who Machine Head is, send a podcast, Majorspoilers.com. Let Stephen know. We'll see how many people know. Yeah, well, I, the worry, my know. worry here is that they are, in fact, going to try to cram Ooh, a big yeah. chunk of those, what, like, how many volumes was Invincible? Like, 22, I think? Yeah, that's yeah, a lot. That's that's a going to, that they're going to try to cram 10 volumes into the first season, I right? I don't think so. I think they're really going to try to, since Robert Kirkman is, you know, one of the producers, executive producers on this project, I think they're playing it very smart, and they're going to follow kind of like the omnibus collections. The first three volumes will probably be season one, the next three volumes, season two and so on. And so they've got easily five years worth of shows here if they play it right. And if Amazon prime uh, does not freak out and uh, pull the plug on this uh, ahead of time, this could be something that would last a, a rather long time. I would say that your first season should be the first eight issues. I feel like you really need to, set up that big end of season moment where we find out what Nolan is really up to. And that's where you nail everybody. That's where you're like, Oh my God, what happens next? But you know, again, I, I don't work for HBO. So that may be a mid season thing where, you know, all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of stuff, but Damien Darkblood, how are they going to get away with Damien Darkblood? Damien Darkblood is a Rorschach parody who's basically a demon in Rorschach's costume walking around saying Herm. I want to see what changes they make. I love the fact that they have Titan in this at all. You know, I like that. And I'm hoping that we actually see the things uh, with Titan that were meaningful. Because at one point, Titan ends up being a superhero sponsor to Alcoholics Anonymous, even though he's a big-time supervillain jerk. But he ends up being that uh, it's um, El Chupacabra's sponsor. And being a very responsible, very helpful, very meaningful sponsor for him, while also still being a supervillainous jerk. I, I kind of love that bit. 
Listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and more over on our Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. There's a link in the show notes. Or if you are a Patreon member at patreon.com slash majorspoilers, you can link your Discord account and you can get access to even more secret server rooms, including the room where we record the Dueling Review podcast live Thursday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. You can come in and listen to our pre-show chatter. You can listen to the show. You can listen to us talk to you after the show. It's a lot of fun. Go check out our Discord server and then go check out patreon.com slash major spoilers for even more. Without Ashley here this week, I think we're going to have a shorter show only because our last discussion of the week is only on a single issue. But it's a really good single mm. issue. Mm. It's Let's a long just, issue, though. Let us jump into some reviews anyway. Releasing on Netflix this past week was Mank. This is the story about uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, the the screenplay writer uh, who... I believe it's Mankiewicz. Manko, Mankiewicz. Uh, Mankiewicz. It, this, is the, uh, this is the story of what he was doing to write the screenplay for Citizen Kane. This is written by Jack Fincher with uh, and directed by David Fincher. It stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, uh, Lily Collins, and a bunch more, including Tom Burke, who plays... Um, uh, Orson Welles in this. He doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he is pretty good at getting a a deeper uh, Orson Welles voice. And then, of course, my favorite appearance is Charles Dance, who comes in as um, as uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the uh, the paper man magnate. Um, but a really Hurst? good. William yeah, yes, Hearst. Yeah. Really good movie. This is a movie that. If it had gone to theaters, most of you probably wouldn't get a chance to see it. But because it is on Netflix and it's a Netflix production, everyone in the world has a chance to see some incredible writing from Jack Fincher. You get to see some incredible directing from David Fincher. You get to see Gary Oldman playing Mank, which is just a fantastic performance. There are times where they where you see shots of him and you're like, is that really Gary Oldman? It doesn't look anything like Gary Oldman. And then, of course, you realize, oh, my gosh, this is Gary Oldman. And he's doing a phenomenal uh, acting job in this movie. Uh, this p- takes place through kind of like. So here's the other weird thing about this. If you have seen Citizen Kane, you know that the story is told via flashback. And the stories that people are telling you don't know how much of it is true, how much of it is not true. You get to see the fallacy of the author. Uh, uh, showing up, uh, you know, going in. And that's kind of what happens here. We get to see Mank telling the story in the quote-unquote present day, and then as people start asking him questions about, you know, where are you drawing your inspiration? Are you really talking about Hearst? Are you really talking about, you know, his his girlfriend, uh, played by Amanda Seyfried? You know, what is going on? And we jump back to these times where we see these incidents that influence these interactions that, uh, Mank has with Hearst and we see these interactions of how their friendship builds and ultimately falls apart and how he went from somebody who was very popular to someone who was shunned by Hearst and his friends. And we start to kind of get an idea that these may be the things that influenced him to write, to write the citizen screen, uh, citizen Kane screenplay. It's, it is, it is beautiful to look at. Uh, I think all of the actors did, did a phenomenal job uh, Mank's assistant is played by Lily Collins, who I've, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else before, uh, but she is very, very good as his uh, English uh, assistant. 
who is transcribing everything that he writes and typing it up and helping him with his alcoholism, his like severe alcoholism. And then I'm like, okay, who is this actress? I've got to look her up. Lily Collins is Phil Collins's daughter. And she is a great actress. I hope we see more of her in, in the future. This film was shot on um, Red's mono, uh, monochrome camera. And this is not simply taking a color film and just turning it black and white like we saw with Logan and like we see with uh, some of these other movies where they just turn down the saturation and we just get a black and white. We up the contrast and everything. Um, the I forget what the actual name of the camera is. It's like the monochrome monster or something like this. Essentially, they stripped off the bare uh, filter in front of the of the sensor, which strips out all of the color information. I don't know if they removed the infrared filter. I kind of think that they did on this, but it creates this very brilliant. It's hard to describe something black and white as rich, but this thing has a great dynamic range. It just looks beautiful. There's elements of this where I thought they were shooting with a red filter because when they're out in the desert, um, like the skies and the trees just kind of light up this brilliant white, which is something that you see with uh, sometimes shooting on a red, uh, red filter, not a red camera filter, but a red filter. And it just comes off as just beautiful top to bottom. Um, just the cinematography is great. The editing is great. The storytelling is great. Uh, everything top to bottom. I want to watch this again. I had the chance to watch this um, on uh, a very large television. And my goodness, you guys, if you have any kind of interest in the story and the background of Citizen Kane, I'm not saying that this is the true story of, this is a take on Citizen Kane. There have been many movies in the past that have been written about, um, you know, the making of this film, uh, RKO, I forget what the name of the picture is, 1182 or something like that is another take on this. Um, and there's many, many over the years that have been, have done this. This is the latest one, but my gosh, it is so good. And if you're a fan of Citizen Kane, I would encourage everyone to go and see Mank. You can see it for free. It's not going to cost you anything if you have your Netflix subscription. And right now, who doesn't have a Netflix subscription? Four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Definitely look for this come award season. I think you're going to enjoy this one a big, big, big amount. So there you go. A really big shoe. That is correct. Although this takes place in the uh, 30s and early 40s and uh, not um, at the time when when uh, he was on the air. Uh, Matthew, out this week from DC Comics, it's a holiday comic book. It is. It's basically the modern day version of our trade paperback review. Although I would say it's not necessarily as much of fun. DC's very merry multiverse number one and or uh, one shot. Stephen hates it when you call a one shot number one. So I'm just going to you know give him that gift for the holidays. Uh, written by... Everybody, Tom King, Ivan Cohen, Derek Friedel, Tom Sargosky, Paul Scherer, John Jones, Charlie Fish, John Thomas, and uh, that guy, Jay Baruchel, who was in uh, The End of the World as we know it. I think he voices Hiccup. Anyway, a lot of stories from across the various worlds of the multiverse. And I have to admit, it's an interesting bag of tricks. Uh, it starts with Harley Quinn traveling the multiverse in It's an Under a Wonderful Life riff. So she goes to alternate universes where there's no Harley Quinn. So she ends up on Earth 50. She ends up on, you know, Earth 12. At one point, she ends up on one Earth where it turns out that she's actually just a real estate salesman in Huntington Beach, California, who loves pumpkin spice latte and her Instagram. 
and she decides that she's going to make a better life for herself uh, and goes back to where she has Commissioner Gordon tied up and gagged in his living room and brings a bag of gifts to the still kidnapped Gordon family. Um, things start to get weird after that. And, you know, when that's your lead, I want you to know this gets really weird. You remember Gotham by Gaslight? Yes. Earth 19? They now officially have their steampunk plastic man. And it's actually pretty good. We spend some time on Earth 11. Earth 11, of course, is the universe where basically everybody you know still exists, but their genders are reversed. So there's an aqua woman and a superwoman. And we do meet, and I'm not sure if this is the big deal character they've been talking about, Kid Quick, who is the uh, nibbling of Jesse Quick, who I believe is the character that everybody's been going, oh, wait, DC has got an official non-binary character, which I'm great with, but you know they show up for about two panels in the middle of this issue, so I'm hoping there's more coming with them. Uh, we spend some time on Earth-13, where everybody's evil. We get to meet, you remember Earth-23, where the president is totally not Barack Obama, you guys? Yes. Mm. And he's Superman. We get to meet his Bizarro, as well as the regular Bizarro. Is it Donald Trump? It's actually, no, thankfully no. Um, But we also do get some Batman Beyond. Really, this is, if you're familiar with the worlds of uh, the multiversity version of the DC Universe, and I do hate the fact that I have to justify which multiverse we're in DC. So, you know, clean this up, would you please? But I think the, the real, real winner for me is earth 22, the world of kingdom come where for one night only booster gold stops being the man who manages planet Krypton puts on his blue and gold tights and goes into battle once more. Uh, It's a wonderful, very Christmassy story. It has kind of a surprising ending And it does have a very sweet nod to Blue Beetle, who is super, super dead in that universe. And then, of course, we get to spend some time with Prez Rickard on the uh, weirdo hippie Earth with Magic Lantern and Sunshine Superman. Basically, it's worth the price of admission. This is a $10 comic book, Matthew. That that must mean a lot, then. It's a $10 comic book, but it's also an 80-page giant. And there's a lot of fun to be had. You know, I actually read two ten dollar 80 page giants this week uh one that you'll see a review of tomorrow on the website but i have to admit that if i had gone and bought the four comics that would comprise the 80 pages of this book i would have paid 2.99 times four so i would have paid 12 dollars. and the amount of stuff in this issue and the amount of things that really land uh the last story is kind of a mixed bag it's uh, a very lobo hanukkah I'm not really going to go into that because, well, what are you going to do? But the amount of stuff that lands as opposed to the amount of stuff that doesn't really works for me. I really feel like this book is one where if you wanted to just have a nice, complete, done-in-one reading experience, you didn't want to have to worry about your dark nights. You didn't want to have to worry about coming next issue. You didn't have to worry about all of a sudden the book ending and you don't know what happens. I feel like this is a really, really solid book. And even at $9.99, I'm going to give it three and a half slices of meatloaf because it's got some fun stuff in it. It reminds me of the goofy uh, treasury-sized Christmas books that we used to get when we were kids, Stephen. Yeah. You know, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. When, when comic books were giants. So I feel like it's worth it. 
Now, Very good. If you don't want to spend nine ninety nine. I'm sorry. And what's the what's the final rating on this? Three point five slices mm. of the magical mystery meatloaf. Okay, uh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give you guys a heads up that uh, this week is a very, very different look at holiday comic books because Matthew just did DC's Very Merry Multiverse. We've got Batman Adventures Holiday Special number one coming up here in just a little bit. And then on Thursday uh, for the Dueling Review podcast, we have got the Xenoscope Holiday Special. Man, I didn't think you could have such polar opposite takes on the holidays. What do I mean by that? Well, come and check out Dueling Review this week at Majorspoilers.com. Rodrigo, hey, your ride's here, man. Oh, wait, it's Resident Alien. Your ride is here, number two. That's right. His ride is getting closer. So uh, this is a, a Resident Alien. Your ride is here, number two. It's a great example of why I don't read the solicitation before reading the comic. Yeah. Um, because if you read the, in the comic, so if you read the solicitation, it just tells you exactly what's happening. But the comic is being coy about it. Um, we know for like mystical reasons that um, someone is after our protagonist, Harry, and um, who is an alien. And in this issue, we see a new person arrive in town and coincidentally, also someone basically raids Harry's practice, right? Because he's a doctor. Um, In the comic, you are left to put that together and be like, oh, well, maybe this is the same person, even though they're a very nice person and seem perfectly fine. They're introduced in a weirdly sinister way. Maybe there's something going on there, or maybe the author's throwing me a curveball. But if you read the solicitation, it's like, this guy shows up and he's the guy who's doing this. So what are you going to do? Don't read the solicitations. Just jump right in, kids. Unless, you know, you like doing that. It doesn't matter. Um, it's nice. This, you know, this book is, uh, I, I've said this before, and this book is good because it's slow. Not a lot of stuff happens in an issue. Um, you know, Harry talks to people. You see the people going around town, like characters, like going a date, you know, but, but like nothing major. It's like they're, their personal lives are advanced, but this general plot of like, is Harry going to have to leave this town? Is he going to have to basically burn his persona and go and try to become someone else somewhere else, even though he's got all these relationships and, you know, some strong personal relationships at that. Um, he's like, what, what's he, what's he going to do that story is developing slowly while everybody else is just kind of doing their thing. Um, uh, the art is great. Uh, Steve Parkhouse has always been really good. Um, again, because all of these characters are, you know, townies. You know, it's like the, nobody has a... In this type of comic, you don't get uh, to differentiate, you know, um, I don't know, uh, Siren and Jean Grey like two redheads with equal body proportions by their costumes, right? It's like here you have to, everybody's face has to look different. Everybody's clothing has to look like normal clothing. And there's something about um, that sort of like very mundane style made vibrant and interesting and fun and cool and, you know, 
facially you know expressive. Uh, Steve Parkhouse does a great job. Uh, this is a four slices of meatloaf affair. It's very good, um, and I'm I'm still hooked to see what happens. Nice, very good. That's out from Dark Horse Comics. It is out this week uh, from Dark Horse Comics. So go check that out. Uh, Matthew, I mentioned a minute ago that uh, we're reviewing this uh, Zenoscope holiday special this week on the Dueling Review podcast. Can you let people know why we're reviewing that book? Well, it's because we have created a close-knit group of sadists and evil people who go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash spoilers and every week choose a comic book for you and I to review on the Dueling Review podcast, and sometimes they're mean about it. But, honestly, most of the time they're just cool and they want to see, you know, interesting comics. So every week we're going to put up on our Patreon page a list of the comics that are coming. Anybody can go. Anybody can vote. We want to see 20, 30, 50 votes every single week. We want everybody to get involved, everybody to have a vote, have a voice in the Dueling Review podcast. Think of it as your voice on the Internet. Yeah. Now, voting is closed this week, obviously. Voting usually closes on uh, Sunday morning, because that's when I go through and start prepping everything. Uh, but this past week, we had a large number of people uh, come and and vote. Uh, I think we ended up having something like 30 people come and vote, which is exactly what we want. And actually, yeah. we want more than 30. Actually, I want to see 60 people next week voting and letting their voice be heard on which comic that they that they want us to uh, to review. Now, the weird thing is, we actually ended up with a tie this week between... Uh, the the Grim Fairy Tales holiday special from Zenoscope and the uh, DC Very Merry Multiverse number one came down to a flip of a coin, ladies and gentlemen. But that's okay. Let's prevent that from happening. A lot of people went out and voted. Uh, let's prevent that from happening again in the future. Uh, look for the Dueling Review for December. What is that going to be? The seventh. That is going to be the December fifteenth, uh, twenty twenty. That'll be going up in a few days. And we want everybody out there to cast their vote and be part of shaping. The Dueling Review Podcast. And listeners, if you would like to contribute to the Major Spoilers Podcast, simply uh, pick up your phone and give us a call. 785-727-1939. That's 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers Hotline is the number to call. The year was 1994. The The North American Free Trade Agreement had been established. Uh, China got its first internet connection and uh, Comet Shoemaker Levy broke up and smashed into Jupiter. 1994 was also kind of the midpoint where a little comic book series called The Batman Adventures, which debuted in 1992 and ran all the way until 2004. But in 1994, they gave everyone something very special. The Batman Adventures holiday special written by Paul Dini, who basically wrote every single story in the issue. And then brought in artists left and right. Dan Reba, uh, Bruce Tim, doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting in, in a lot of this. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, series because we start off with, um, with the jolly old St. Nicholas uh, tale. And this is one where we get to see uh, Batgirl going shopping. Although it's not Batgirl, it's secretly Barbara Gordon. And uh, she's going shopping at the mall, and she notices, uh, hey, what's going on? Why is Harvey Dent and, uh, um, uh, what's her face? Montoya. Montoya. Why are they dressed up as, as Santa and the, Santa's little helper? I know cops don't get paid very much, but what's going on? And we discover that there's a chain of robberies going on at the mall, 
and they're undercover. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that all these little kids form into one another and become Clayface. And Harvey then Bullock, Harvey Dent is Two Face. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Harvey Dent. Yeah, Bullock and Montoya. Uh, there should and be Batgirl. a one Harvey limit. Yes, uh, end up having to fight uh, Clayface in this issue. Now, one thing about those little kids. Are they supposed to be, what are those uh, little kids that are always running around helping the, um, what are those new, newspaper, what, what is those? Newsies? Movie? Yeah, the Newsies. Are they supposed to be the Newsies? Because they kind of look like that. Now, they don't have Flippa Dippa in there, but they kind of look well, like the Newsies in that one panel. I don't so, think that they're intentionally the Newsboy Legion, but. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe. None yeah, of them look like Christopher, I, or know, not Christopher Nolan, but uh, the other one, who was in Newsboys. <laughs> you mean Batman? Yes, Batman. Oh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Christian Batman. Christian. Yeah, Bale. I just you know the Batman animated series has this sort of like retro look. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you have a bunch of kids, they're gonna look like kids from the 1920s. Yeah, they look like ragamuffins from like a, a Bowery Boys flick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty good fight. Uh, what do you guys think of of that that story? I don't remember Montoya being that super, super girly. Maybe I just. Well, the, I think they the have to make her dress Montoya up like that. Montoya has overwritten her. No, but I think even in the TV series, um, she was pretty plain clothes. Um, you know, nothing to, you know, not trying to sexify her up or anything. But I think you put her in the Santa's little helper outfit. And I don't think you can get away with that, especially in the uh, Bruce yeah. Tim style. Or in, I think it's this case. Is it Bruce Tim that's uh, doing the art on this one? I can't remember. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so um, I don't think you can get away with that with Bruce Tim. Yeah, you you do get a very specific female silhouette with your with your yeah. Tim, but yeah. I like that story simply because I really love the Batman animated take on Clayface, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it shows how weird and dangerous and creepy a character with those powers could be. Yeah. Which you don't always get out of the comics. A lot of times Clayface in the comics is like, ooh, I'm Boris Karloff. And this is like a giant poop monster, and that's that's way cool. Just well, shape shifting through the universe. And you know, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim really took what we knew as some as classic characters, even even Clayface, and really just put a different spin on them, incorporating a lot of their golden age uh, elements, as well as just some some creepy stuff going on in their origin stories, especially with this Clayface where they kind of incorporated what uh, Clayface one and Clayface three together into, yeah. into this one to really bring a actor who was, uh, you know, a little bit too much into his own looks and, and kind of got his comeuppance. Uh, so I, I kind of dig that. Um, yeah, this is, it's, I think this is a solid story. This is a very solid story. Then we get uh, Rodrigo, the Harley and Ivy story. Now, I think there was only one or two times in the Batman animated series and the the new Batman adventures where Harley and Ivy actually got to team up together uh, for a run. I know that there was Girls Night Out, which was Supergirl and Batgirl together. But I think there was only a couple of times where we saw Harley and Ivy as a couple uh, doing, uh, you know, team up things. Sure. So run us down through this story. Uh, so in this story, Harley and Ivy try to, uh, or Harley wants uh, to have fun for Christmas. Um, and Ivy figures out a good way to do it is to use her uh, hypno lipstick on uh, millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. So 
they get him to take them on a shopping spree. And then, oh, no, he accidentally falls down on an elevator shaft. Oh, and no. then Batman shows up. <laughs> and then there's a fight. And now, uh, Batman catches them. If I'm not mistaken, is this an adapt adaptation of one of the animated series elements? Because I could have swore that there was a time where Harley and Ivy uh, smooched on Bruce and then got him to go on a shopping spree with them. Do you remember this, Matthew? don't remember. Yeah, if, there, if this was an episode, I don't remember it. I think the interesting thing about this is, you know, the very first time that we see Harley and Ivy together, and I think the episode title of the Batman animated series one was called Harley and Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all sorts of questions sprang up of, oh, are they really a couple? Is there, are they secretly a couple? And this was in 1994. And you, so you read this episode too, where they're basically hanging out in a uh, rundown apartment complex and, you know, um, uh, Harley's in the bed with just uh, panties and a, and a top on. And, you know, uh, Ivy's just running around in, in regular clothes and it starts to bring into the question of, well, are they a couple? And the weird thing is, it is like 20 years later, 22 years later, before we finally see DC attempt to answer that in the, um, in the Harley Quinn show, uh, on HBO max, which we'll be taking a look at uh, next year on the major spoilers podcast. So what are, what are some thoughts on, on that relationship? That's definitely one that, uh, the animated series forced to, to be canonical i believe i don't know if it's happening on prime dc uh, earth zero but at least one of the alternators recently actually had a harley and ivy wedding mm-hmm. and it's just because there's an actual there is an episode of batman the animated series where harley and ivy seem to live together in an yep. apartment with one bed yep well the other and thing they're is they're such a cool they're such a cool couple i mean honestly yeah. they're so cute together have you guys you watched the, the show on HBO Max? Ivy? Oh, it's amazing. Have you guys watched the show on HBO Max? I, I haven't seen it. Oh man, you guys are in for a treat. Um, like I said, we'll be talking about that uh, next season on the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, the other thing is, you meant, it's funny, Matthew, that you said, well, it's because of this that they kind of had to make this uh, canonical or whatever. Um, it's also interesting that we wouldn't have Harley Quinn without Batman the Animated Series and Bruce Timm and Paul Dini uh, creating that character and making her so popular that she had to go from the comic book page or from the um, uh, television page to the comics. And then of course, into her own uh, stratosphere where she's probably, and I think Harley Quinn is probably the most recognizable and popular female character in the DC universe. Yeah, maybe I'd after Wonder Woman. She's you think right after Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman? So it'd be days. like Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and then Harley Quinn say wonder woman harley quinn and supergirl honestly yeah. in the mm. year 2020 okay yeah. okay all right uh good story or not a good story rodrigo uh yeah it's a you know it's a fine story it's uh, the, the interesting things about these stories is that you kind of get to see stuff that you might not get to see in the show itself right so mm-hmm. The majority of the page count is actually their shopping spree on this. And then mm-hmm. there's, you know, a fight at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's fun. Like you, the, the focus of it is having fun with Harley and Ivy. Yes. And then at the end, obviously, Batman has to throw them in jail because that's how the episode has to end. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's fine. Yep. And uh, Harley gets her wish by getting a giant uh, Christmas tree crashing down upon her. Uh, then we get to White Christmas, uh, Matthew. This is all about the uh, cocaine trade in Gotham City. No, 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 no. 
This is a this is a kids show, Stephen. Oh. This is about snow. And where there's snow in Gotham, there's Mr. Freeze. Mm, that guy. Yeah, Mr. Freeze has broken free and he's running through the streets of of Gotham City sounding remarkably like that one director. Uh, you know the one I'm talking about. Yes. I may be thinking of the 66 Batman animated series. <laughs> no, Otto, Otto, Otto Preminger. Otto Preminger is who you're thinking of, yes. Yes, I love Otto Preminger because he talks like this. Not quite uh, your Werner Herzog, but it's in that ballpark. And for some reason, Mr. Freeze has broken out and made sure that Gotham is covered in snow and ice. Batman has to track him down. He finds him in the Gotham Cemetery. And he beats him mercilessly <laughs> within an inch of his life. Because that's what you do with Ca- the criminally insane. Causes his weapon to explode, is holding a piece of the weapon above his little glass dome, ready to smash his face, puts it down and says, It's Christmas, so I'll give you a chance to end this quietly. And Mr. Freeze just points to his wife's grave and explains that Christmas is his anniversary. And Nora loved Christmas and loved the snow. And so the reason he broke free and turned Gotham into an icy wasteland was to, you know, basically make his dead wife happy, which is tragic and horrifying and, and pathological all at the same time. I think Victor Freeze <laughs> is is the most tragic character we've ever seen uh, come out of the animated series. I mean, we can look at we can look at Harvey Dent, who was mentally unstable and it was one bad accident uh, because of his involvement with Pam Isley and the Joker that caused him to become two face. But when we look at everyone else, I think, I think Mr. Freeze is the one where you are like, Oh my gosh, it's because of an accident because of what he and his wife were doing that his wife died or, you know, depending on the, the, uh, (laughs) the changing continuity, you know, she's frozen in a block of ice. Uh, but you know, he becomes this very sad character instead of this, this menace that has a, has ice as a, as a shtick. And man, every time you see him on the screen or read him in the pages of the comic, they kind of twist that knife a little deeper and say, ah, oh, yeah, look how bad Mr. Freeze has it. But they never go so far as to say that he's right. And that's what I appreciate. They take his, you know, his twisted way of looking at the world and they accept it and they show you why it happened and why it's sad, but they don't say, and that's why Mr. Freeze is actually a good guy. Yeah, no, I don't think they ever say that. No, no, they, they even go so far as to make him, uh, just a head in a jar with some spider legs when you get to, uh, (laughs) the, uh, Mr. Freeze, uh, animated movie. Yeah. Nora. Nora. This is, is. A really strong sequel to Heart of Ice, which is yeah. that Mr. Freeze episode mm-hmm. where we find out about Nora and we have, you know, those moments. I remember in that episode, the thing that always sticks with me is the the two henchmen who should be nameless henchmen. And one of them gets frozen and his friend is like, oh, my God, Joey, you got to help him, Batman. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that this series does well. And that's why this story, I think, is my favorite in the book. Mm. Because, first of all, it almost falls into that post-Dark Knight, I'm Batman, yeah. and I will destroy evil with my face. But then he stops, and he has a moment of compassion and a moment of humanity. And Mr. Freeze responds to that, and they walk away together so that Batman can stick him back in Arkham Asylum, Oh, I thought they successfully made snow. I thought they were going to go have a hot chocolate together. No? Rodrigo? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. No, you're thinking of the Flash. Ah, okay. 
What, what, what are your thoughts on, on this? Uh, on the one hand, I can see where Matthew coming from is that it is the, um, probably in his mind, the best one of this. I kind of see it as, oh man, we have done the, look how tragic this character is again and again and again and again. And this kind of feels maybe a little bit overdone, but in 1994, probably not overdone. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that not only did the Batman animated series, like create Harley Quinn and push her into stardom, the, it also rehabilitated a lot of Batman's mm-hmm. villains and mm-hmm. made them a lot cooler. Yeah. Clayface is a good example. And Mr. Freeze is a huge example, right? Mr. Freeze, a lot of the time in uh, depictions prior to this was kind of a nyahaha type villain. Right. Um, but, you know, by giving him that and suddenly they make him very interesting and then everybody wants to use him that way. Everybody wants to play him. Everybody wants to put him in, put him in their show or their series or whatever. So yeah, since then we've seen a lot of this type of depiction for Mr. Freeze because it's a good depiction of Mr. Freeze, right? Mm-hmm. It gives him something interesting, something to do with a motivation besides like trying to steal money to be rich. Yeah. Uh f- second to last story in this well really we have an intro and then i think the very last story in here is more of a of an epilogue but what are you doing on new year's eve this is a story written by paul dini and bruce tim um or story by paul dini and bruce tim written by paul dini with art by kevin altieri and brute uh butch lucky or luke luke what is that lukic lukic i think is how it is um this one probably my least favorite story in the whole uh, collection only because it features the joker Going on TV, telling his plans, throwing out some kind of riddle. Uh, Batman figures out, ah, the place where he's going to commit this is down at uh, Gotham Square as the ball is dropping. He gets down there and everyone's wearing Joker masks, which, right. why? So so this did it before uh, the Joker movie did it. Yes. Yes, and I wonder if they got any inspiration from this. Mm. Interesting. Anyway, Batman uh, figures out uh, the Joker's evil plot, beats him up. Stops the bell from going off and sounding the sonic boom, which is going to kill everybody. The end. What do you think, Matthew? Yeah. Oh. First of all, I think that, you know, when you have your mute button and your mouse in the wrong place, you can't hear when, mm. you, when you start to respond to Steven. But more importantly, this, I feel, is the most familiar story because I feel like I, this is the one that I feel like I've read before. Ah. This is the one that I'm like, isn't this an episode? But that doesn't necessarily make it bad. It just no. kind of makes it, you know, the, the boilerplate story, the thing that we we have to have the Joker. Yeah, I don't think and you can get away from... New Year's Eve, I think, is, is nice enough. But I, I don't think that you can get away... So I'm thinking about all the villains that we have in here, right? So first we have Clayface, and that's kind of good because you get a little uh, uh, masked mystery men, you know, what's What's going on? Who, who's the thing? Oh, we find out that it's this big clay monster impersonating everyone. That's kind of cool. Then we get a little scampy a story about a holiday presence with Harley and Ivy. They make a pretty good uh, duo. Then, of course, with Mr. Freeze, it is wintertime. So, yes, let's get a Mr. Freeze story in there. And then you can't tell a Batman story or collection without having the most popular character in here, or at least the most popular character as far as villains go, uh, with a Joker that. story. What's that? Nightwing. Nightwing isn't in this. No, so Nightwing's not in this, and, and Robin's not in this, and Batgirl only gets one uh, story in this. Um, hey, that's something. You know, I'm kind of glad that we don't have... 
I'm kind of glad that we don't have some of the other villains in here. I'm glad we don't have Mad Hatter in here. I'm glad we don't have a, a Two-Face story in here, um, a Clock King story, a Condiment King story. I, I'm kind of glad we don't... What was Babyhead's name? Oh, um, what was her name? Killer Croc and... Baby 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 Doll? That's got to be it. Oh, I, think I, she had another... her. I always confuse her with the Batman uh, Brave and the Bold villain who had the head of a baby. I think it's Baby Doll. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Baby Doll, and then that guy was Baby Face. And I then think, they also have uh, Ventriloquist. Go ahead. Hey, I was just thinking of some other other uh, villains that... Yeah, the Ventriloquist, yeah. The penguin. Yeah. Baby Doll. That one, that, that guy that's just like a computer. Oh, hard yeah, act, yeah. Computer, um, yeah. Hard Act. Hard Act, yeah. We didn't get we didn't get we didn't get Catwoman in here, which was I think if you think of any especially right now any surprising character and especially in 1994 right uh, didn't uh, when was um, when was the second Batman film didn't that come out in like 92 93? Would have been I think 92, but it was also a huge failure. So <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, uh, Catwoman and Penguin both super popular in the animated series. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of surprising they didn't make it in here, but that's okay. Um, we do get a nice little epilogue where Batman and, and Commissioner Gordon go have a New Year's Day celebration at the uh, corner bar, and Batman slips away and pays the check before anyone can, uh, can say have anything any different. Yeah. Yep. Batman likes to disappear. Yeah. Yes. Just like his parents did. Steven! <laughs> No. And that's why he's always running out. Um, you know, this is really, no so one, here's the thing. No one taught me to stand up from the table and say <laughs> goodnight and walk out like a normal person. Yeah, see, Rodrigo gets it. Uh, so here's the thing. If you yes. try to get a physical copy of this, it's very expensive. I think this is going, uh, at least through the Amazon link, like 75 bucks for a physical copy of this, which all I didn't of the Harley Quinn appearances in early 92, 93, 94 in that area are oh, really? just gonna Cause run I'm you, pretty yeah, sure I have this in my collection somewhere. I don't think it was damaged during the flood or anything. And if it's going for 75 bucks, if someone wants it, I'll sell it to you for 75 bucks. Um, uh, what shape is it in? It would be in very good condition. It would be one of those that it's red and then put into a Mylar bag and sealed and put into a uh, into a long box. So someone wants to buy it for 75 bucks. I'll sell it for 75 bucks. Uh, I would, I think it's only a couple of bucks though. If you use the comiXology link over at majorspoilers.com. Um, I think this is something worth picking up. I really think that if you're a fan of the Batman animated series, and I think most of our listeners are, I don't know if I've run into anybody that's just like totally down on that, on that animated series at all, especially when Bruce, Tim and Paul Dini were both, um, working on it before it became yeah. Batman Adventures and everything. I think this is really worth picking up, both for the art and the great little kind of feel-good stories that are in here. Yes, I know the Joker's trying to kill people. Yes, I know Clayface is, you know, tearing up the mall. Yes, I know that uh, that Mr. Freeze is uh, freezing people in blocks of ice. But still, as far as holiday stories go, in a comic book universe, this isn't bad. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Go grab the digital edition. Matthew, what do you think? I would agree. Um, I feel like the digital edition is preferable because the version that I have is the original comic. And of course it was on paper and the paper has browned a little bit and the mm. digital copy that comiXology has is beautiful and crisp yeah. and nice. I'm sure they've looking. got a coloring on there so you don't get the dots and everything. You know, you, you get to a point where, like I said, in the individual review, sometimes you just want 
a done in one comic. You yep. want something that you can sit down, you can read, you can have fun. And remember, this book was two ninety five at a time when comics were a buck fifty. So you know, this is a, a double sized comic at a double sized price. So technically, the nine ninety nine comic is actually a better deal based on the amount of information. I would have to go. I would have to go back and look at the uh, rate of inflation because that would tell us a little bit more if it was uh, a better deal 43%. or not. What's that? It's forty three percent. Uh, then yeah, that's uh, not not a good deal. Yeah, forty three percent is what yeah. it is. Yeah. So I don't know. I totally uh, didn't just make that up. I um, yeah, def- definitely go pick this up, Rodrigo. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this? Final thoughts on this? Um, I think it's interesting because I feel that the team here is actually trying to get away with stuff that they can't get away with in, mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. Like Batman gets shot in this, and you can see him bleeding. Like yeah. lots of people die uh, in this, and not that you didn't see like joker fish casualties in the show um but it interestingly this is like the most hardcore version of square face batman you're gonna find mm-hmm. <laughs> um so kind of from that standpoint it's interesting to pick it up especially if you really do like the the uh, batman the animated series um it, it's just interesting you know this came out during that show's heyday so this is like that creative team kind of doing things that were actually a little different from the show which means if you're getting this to capture the nostalgia of that show it sits a little strange but it's not bad again it's largely the same creators Mm -hmm. so it's you know it feels right Uh, i would say yeah pick it up digitally uh and uh you know show it to your niece or something yeah i don't know if you guys ever look at uh bruce tim art if you just see like his drawings and stuff yeah Um, sometimes he uh he play pays special attention to detail when it comes to to breasts, and uh there are a couple of times in this comic on these stories that he draws where yeah you can you can tell it's um it's Bruce Tim drawing women in his in his uh, detail with skin tight costumes. That's the I mean that's the specific a specific word for that is nipularity I believe. That, I don't think that's, that's another, the word, but we can use that. That's another great example. Something that yeah. happens in this comic, which we probably wouldn't see, is you see Batgirl taking off her clothes in a changing room. Mm-hmm. You don't see anything, but you do see that sequence, which in the show they wouldn't. They, I guarantee, they would not let them. No, get no, that no. Far. Yeah, no. There's yeah. a there's a not very strict list. I don't know. I don't have. I don't have it here in within easy reach. I think it's in the other room. I've got the uh, the Batman animated series. A book that they put out, I think, right around the time that the main series ended. But it's got all the uh, title cards in it, and it's got a making of, and it's you know, it's got a lot of the the model drawings and behind the scenes stuff of what went on into that animated series. And there's actually a listing of all the things that they couldn't do, like put a child in danger and that kind of stuff, uh, in that animated uh, series. And there's actually some art where they were uh, goofing around and and in one panel put everything that you couldn't do in the animated series in a drawing, and so. Like you said, Rodrigo, there are some elements in this comic book that you couldn't get away with in the TV series. And and yeah, I think they're kind of releasing some of that, some of that steam uh, in this book. I don't think that this is anything that's going to offend children, especially children of this day and age. Uh, so I think that this is something that you could hand off to a kid if you wanted to, them to read it. And uh, maybe uh, if they are a fan of the Batman or anything else, um, there's no curse words, unlike the, uh, the uh, Harley Quinn show. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely I think worth picking up. So any other thoughts before we get out of here this week, guys? 
Bruce Tim and Paul Dini have basically created like a huge subgroup of comics where all the men are perfectly square and all the women are mm-hmm. like inverted triangles with legs. Well, yes. I mean, the, I mean, the Batman animated series kicked off, you know, a whole style of DC animation. And a lot of that mm-hmm. is still in place today in the animated movies that, that we see. And you will see Bruce Tim being involved a lot in the making of uh, the Warner Brothers direct-to-video DC comic book movies. And so, yes, that influence is still there very, very heavily. So you can look at this as, yes, a a part of that time, but it's also had, I mean, influence pretty much everything going forward. I don't know if there's a comic, uh, uh, I'm sorry, an animated series that has more influence on future product. I mean, you can look at the Tom and Jerry stuff. It doesn't look anything like Chuck Jones. Sure. Maybe Super Friends. Maybe Super Friends, but... Yeah. I mean, when you look at DC stuff, there are probably those three big landmarks. Super mm-hmm. Friends, mm-hmm. 60, or 66 Batman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the Batman animated series, you know, that which expands into Justice League and yeah. everything else. Yeah. Um, those are kind of these big cornered stones and we're still kind of drawing around that. Yep. Um, because, because, you know, right now, this is how ancient, uh, we all are. There are people working in the industry who were little baby children when Mm -hmm. that, that Batman show came out, they watched that show before they ever saw a Batman comic. That mm-hmm. is their first Batman. That mm-hmm. is Batman. Mm-hmm. So it, mm. you know, you still see that. Obviously, the the uh, DC editorial is so old that they won't let those people <laughs> near Batman. <laughs> but they're creating other comics. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, you're going to have, you know, basically people enough people my age at dc editorial that they'll just like do a big like revival of like square face batman oh, like, yeah. oh we love this so much i'm sure well, it's I'm sure only been will. in the 21st century that we've seen the revival of 66 batman being a mm-hmm. thing so mm-hmm. you know batman the animated series is still down the line waiting for its time to shine in in the big review yep i hmm i don't know i it's going to come back. It's going to take over Oh, I'm sure there will, but that's what I'm saying. Everything's going to be that's Bruce Tim style for a couple But that's years. what I'm saying. If you look at the current run of DC animated movies, right, they're still super influenced by Bruce Tim. In fact, you could yeah. argue that even though they've rebooted universes, the fact that they continue to use that Bruce Tim kind of style that, you know, you got, you got to push it forward. If you look at Batman the Animated Series and then compare it to Batman Beyond and then you compare it to JLA and then you compare it to... Um, uh, crisis on two earths, you know, you see that style gets pushed and refined and maybe smoothed out a little bit, but you can still tell that that is Bruce Tim influenced stuff. And it still feels like it's part of that continuity of that original Batman animated series. So I think that it's, I think that it's still there, right? It's not like it's an art style. Like um, what's the art style that everyone uh, complains about uh, Rodrigo with the, the Steven universe and, and the, oh, other... the Cal arts. Yeah. The Cal art style. Like... Yeah. There's so much of this that is still Bruce Tim style that I think it would be hard to say that, oh, the Bruce Tim style has gone away and someday it'll come back because it's well, still there. Well, it's all part of it. You know, yeah. it's like the 
up so if you look at Harley Quinn up until um what is it the the Arkham series of games uh changed that yeah. I'll put into a big Rodrigo only brackets ruined uh, Harley <laughs> Quinn's looked yeah you know the only Harley Quinn we had ever seen was really the Bruce Tim style mm-hmm. Harley Quinn mm-hmm. um and and that happens when a character is based on um, when a character is so strongly tied to an artist, then everybody ends up doing just kind of aping that style. This is true if you look at the new god stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's like everybody who does the new gods, everybody who has Barda, like if you look at Bruce Tim's drawings of Big Barda, there's so much Kirby in there because how could there not be? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. 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 So. Get a little bit of comic history, get a little bit of holiday cheer, and get, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Free screaming Nora again and again and again. And that wraps it up for this Nora. issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We love your feedback, Nora. Use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this Nora episode. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We will be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Star Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun being in the Middle East. With a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.